0: Hey, everyone. It's February, National Obscenity Month here in the United States. Oh, just kidding. It's it's not. Every month is obscenity month here in the United States, which means that for those listening to this show here and abroad, please beware that our language may be as foul as the weather in New England in the winter months. This has been your obscenity warning.
1: You look like you're an amazing teacher. I want you to teach me your like one of your favorite Hebrew sentences or phrases or something to say. Teach me how to say something in Hebrew. What are you saying there, my man? (laughs) Um,
2: I need a have a pizza.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Hello, Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by senior writer Leah Leibowitz. Shalom. Shalom. And deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. That was my Olympic voice. That was your... Shalom. Shalom from Pyeongchang. That was your torch torch passing voice. This week, our Jews are Annette Ezekiel Kogan and Jeremy Brown of the klez rock band Golem, which does our theme music and and so much else. And we interview writer Molly Lambert, whose grandmother was a German-Jewish woman forcibly recruited by the Nazis. To compete in the Olympics, but then there's a twist at the end, which you're going to hear about, and a special report from the Hebrew Language Charter School up in Harlem. And this week, we're also excited to welcome the listeners of Israel Story, our sister podcast at Tablet. We're going out over their feed this week, and next Monday, we'll have an episode of theirs in our feed. Shalom,
1: la listeners, show Israel
0: Story. <laughs> Mash shlome- ma Lomech. It's a mixer. We're having a mixer here. So
3: that's synergy.
0: A, a mishmash, if you will. <laughs> Mash. A little bit of a
3: monster mash. Uh,
0: so, Jews, do do you guys have as much Olympic fever as the Oppenheimers have? Because Rebecca's staying up late. She's secured special two-week-long permission to stay up late. Last night, she was watching uh, Snowboarding, which, of course, featured a Jewess, Ariel Gold, winning the bronze. Uh, I'm just glad it's not ice skating because I hate ice skating.
3: Come on. How could you love the Winter Olympics and hate ice skating? it's not a real sport.
0: Anything that requires judging is not a real sport. Amen to that.
3: Are you guys joking? Did you not see that triple axel? Like that is, is you guys, you guys are crazy. It's awesome. It's just,
0: look, Rebecca even said to me, it was funny, a couple, kid is so smart. She said, dad, there's something about the sports where like judges hold up numbers at the end and it's also, what's the word, so subjective that like they don't. They're but not. Why light. is snowboarding
3: She's, not subjective? It because is. Those are all is, scored. Everything is. is scored. It is except for hockey,
0: skiing, ice ball. fast skiing, yeah. going skiing downhill, fast downhill. But then there's skiing. also
3: the there's like there's points for style and points for execution. Like not others. in the good
0: ones. Some of them are just speed.
3: You guys, you guys, you guys are correct. Oh, fine. Anyway, I think like we need. You this know how now. you know
0: the Winter Olympics is not a real
1: Olympics? As much as I'm enjoying these last couple of days, when you have to make up names for the sports, which says nothing about the sport. Like in the Summer Olympics, it's like running, right? It's like jumping. It's like bicycle and basketball like you know exactly what you're gonna get here's like what's skeleton
0: what's curling wait skeleton's what's like luge skeleton. <laughs> who knows <laughs> skeleton's oh, like God, luge people right? are crazy yes but what do you do <laughs> you guys, in what does like, one guys, do in skeleton cray.
3: honestly like America needed this Olympics America like, does. like we just needed something to like bring us all together sit in front of the TV and watch it even though it happened yesterday or right. tomorrow, <laughs> I will say Ben is in Pyeongchang right now. Ben Cohen.
0: Could he score? He can't expense you to Pyeong. The Wall Street Journal's not in that. They're in austerity Theoretically, mode. I
3: could go, but I don't even think I would get. Gift to get clearance. You have to be, they had, all had to be background checked by the country. I mean, it's like very intense. You like,
0: also have to sit in,
1: in an Olympic village in Pyeongchang for two weeks. Yeah, like <laughs> he's just, in
3: some. I'm not exactly like rushing to get over there, but our, <laughs> our friend of the show, Molly Ye, is there covering it for the Olympic Channel. She's the arts and culture. Like reporter and doing little clips for their website, she says Amy Buchanan of the Israel ladies figure skating team skated beautifully, and she had ten points higher than her season's best.
1: So yeah, I love also the par- Israel. Of- Israel's is a skater. Amy Christina Maria Magdalena
0: Buchanan. It's like the Maccabee <laughs> games, right? It's the like fourth. we could pull in, <laughs> skated beautifully, quarter <laughs> Jewish, Jewish people state. named Buchanan. Um, producer Josh uh, sent t- sends us a message that skeleton is face down luge. So there you have it. See, I see. mean, like
3: you guys try doing some of that, cra- that stuff. That is insane. Hey, no, they, we
0: won't. You a, know why? Because we're Jews. We fa- don't do that. Face down luge may be the most goyish sport. Skele- I hear my name skeleton. That's the most. Like Nobody's mother or grandmother is letting them do face down luge. Luge is one thing. Luge is
1: bad enough. <laughs> Luge is the line for
0: you. <laughs> Luge is the line. Turn you flip you know, over You know and what might be a down. good
1: thing to do on Shabbat afternoon? <laughs> How about you lie down on this thing, and I'm going to send you 80 miles per hour face down this tunnel of ice I feel like in we the ice? Even allowed to go Ooh. like
0: sledding. Sledding's <laughs> <laughs> a big one. I will tell you, Sid is like she gets very kind of. Misty eyed when it snows and I take the kids sledding because growing up on the Lower East Side, like, you know what they didn't do sled mm-hmm. and she tells how she used to say to her parents from time to time, like, you know, we could go to Central Park. There are kids from our neighborhood who have done this and they're like, no, that's like 20 train rides away. They made it sound like it was it was up in the Adirondacks to get there. And so, you know, her her our kids are the first in the Fremer lineage, aside from my so nieces. So might have a ever,
3: skeleton daughter.
0: Oh, God. In oh the God. future. Don't 20 even 36. Say it. Ellie, if you're listening.
3: Ellie the Skelly.
0: That is not news of the future Jews. How about news of the present Jews? Some bagel stories. Uh, first off, a two hundred thirteen pound bagel sandwich was consumed in Brooklyn. I believe in the Greenpoint neighborhood. Just just last week, um, it was some sort of record. Record for what? biggest bagel sandwich. Biggest. It's Big, not
1: biggest waste of time. <laughs>
0: There were 40 pounds of cream cheese. uh, There was 30 pounds of smoked salmon. There were tomatoes, onions, and probably baseball-sized capers. And um, 213 pounds. And the crowd went wild. This was at uh, Acme Smoked Fish Corp and Zucker's Bagels. They joined forces. But more important, again, two bagel stories this week. The bagel emoji is on its way. The Unicode Consortium has released the list of the new... Emo- emoji is the plural of emoji emojis is the Unicode consortium <laughs> the new protocols of the elders of Zion
3: <laughs> they what decide does? what comes like what comes next yeah. And yeah. Emoji. have you abandoned
1: like banking and
0: Hollywood and market just to go into the emoji business must that's be smart. because one of the emojis that they're allowing into the code now is a bagel and they say it's uh, likely to be um, sliced so that we know it's not a donut
3: and it's coming sometime in 2018 they like released their new batch and that was like last time we got the unicorn that was a big deal at one point we got like shrimp tempura
0: it, what so what's na- what's what do we want for 2000 oh, take... no no
3: i'm not not i'm not okay with this bagel no 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 <laughs> oh, no sorry why so not first at all. of all the lack of a bagel emoji has been something that jewish texters have been bemoaning for a really long time
0: bemoaning for a very long time it's, that's like deep jewish web it's
3: actually really i mean there's just there's such a variety there's like we got a taco 2 years ago you know like that <laughs> we got there's like mm-hmm. You, there's a lot of food on there. None of them that? look anything like a bagel. And so and there's one that's like eggs in a pan, so like you could use that for Shakshuka, but like we are at a loss <laughs> culturally. So Jen Snow, uh, who works at Russ and Daughters, she started using the the C D, the yellow the like a gold C D emoji for a bagel. Because
0: she was using CDs and yeah, you might as well CDs. repurpose and so it. So that
3: was like working and that was working for a while. This bagel is like a lender's bagel cut in half, looks so dry. We'll put a picture oh. in the newsletter. Like it is just not the bagel here. I'll show you. It's just not the bagel you oh, imagine. No, that
1: looks that Uh-oh. looks
0: disgusting. It's a, bagel, it's, like. a yeah, it's a donut of some. It's too it,
3: b- yeah, and like gooey. they had to cut it in half so it wouldn't look like a donut because it looks like a donut and it's like give me like it a bagel with
0: no, it, but it needs to be toasted with brown crust around. If it were toasted, it would read it's as a bagel. Upsetting me, that's horrible. I think it's like in such small portions. Hey, this week in Gal Gadot. Liel, what do you have for us? I,
1: uh, there is a weekly a, a new a new week a new gal. Uh, this week, Gal Gadot becomes technically the second, but we will pretend the first Israeli ever to make Yerida to the town of Springfield, uh, as she will become a member of the extended Simpson mishpocha on season thirty
0: of the show. And she's going to voice herself, apparently. She right? is going to voice herself. That is awesome.
3: Why are you counting the first person? Yeah, who because is the, the first, first
0: person? The first person is Yael Naim, oh the a song. new
3: soul.
1: Yeah, but she was born in France and then she moved to Israel for like a spell and then left Israel and. It was in that weird Sacha Baron Cohen Simpsons go to Israel episode, which is a Shonda, Oh, Okay, and I would rather forget about okay. the whole thing. And Gal Gadot deserves.
3: But I will say, yeah, El Nime has that song that was on the Apple commercial da, for da, a really long time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah that, that's her. Oh, that's is that
0: her. who that is? Uh, and finally, from Israel, uh, we broke the story yesterday that El Al is a bit dodgy on its geography. Do you want to explain, Liel? So, as all good stories go, the Chief Rabbi of Ukraine, of course. And Chief Rabbi Yaakov Bleich, Chief Rabbi Yaakov
1: Blaich, he's a cool dude, uh, is flying on the new 787 Dreamliner, uh, Boeing, from Newark to Tel Aviv, uh, is is on this Dreamliner, and it's a brand new plane, I and everyone's Dreamliner. Let me have the chicken and not the fish, uh, and so he's playing around with an in-flight entertainment, and there's this feature in which you just click on this interactive map and you see cities, right? So Warsaw, and you click on Warsaw and it says the capital of Poland, Warsaw, is blah, blah, blah. You click on Toronto, it says the capital of the province of Ontario, like blah, blah, blah. Uh, You click on Jerusalem, what do you see? Mm. A city sacred to all three religions. <laughs> <laughs> and Rabbi Bach's like, wait, what? I'm on Al. So they're, oh, they're basically bitches, afraid like,
0: to call it the capital. So. It is not,
1: according to El Al, the capital of the state of Israel, of which it is the national carrier. Uh, El Al blames it on Samsung, which Panasonic. created Panasonic, which created the app. That was very racist of me. Uh, and uh, promises to fix this oversight. it is kind of astonishing though that someone translated it into Hebrew which they
0: did and wasn't like what a, a minute showing yet again they just that, like
3: Google translated it yeah. yeah
0: like the Unicode consortium they should be using our consulting services. <laughs> That's exactly right. <gasps> A moment uh, with our new producer, Josh Cross, who has hit the ground running. Hi, Josh. Howdy. Howdy. Uh, your beard is in fine barbarism today. I oiled it up for y'all. Do you oil it? A little bit. So um, one of the things that you've done for us is you're finally uh, getting us into the world of merchandising. People have been ask, have been clamoring for that shirts, swag. mugs. What? Tell us what we're up to.
1: In uh, fine Mel Brooks fashion, I've hooked up the merchandising.
0: Merchandising.
1: Merchandising? Merchandising! Merchandising! We put the picture's name on everything! And if anybody wants to go to bit.ly
0: slash unortho shirt, that's bit.ly slash unortho shirt, you'll see our regular logo. There's a logo that we put on stickers. Um, on shirts, uh,
1: onesies. Yeah, onesies. No, I mean, I I, I need to have a fourth child just to, to put a onesie on them. We <laughs> sell unorthodox Bitcoin. <laughs> we, there's a luge. And, um, we actually have a coupon code that'll go through the end of March, which is unorthodox launch 2018. The U and the L are capital. I don't know if that matters. Um, but that'll give you, I think 30% off Woo! your purchase.
0: I'm going to so, buy myself one.
1: Go get like 17 shirts and an 18th for yourself and hand them out to everyone.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Josh. Thanks,
1: Josh. Talk to you again. Can I tell you how proud I am of us for, for selling out? I've been waiting <laughs> for this moment. It's beautiful.
0: We're just going to do a sound check for your, yeah. for your... voices. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, Tell us about your childhoods. Yeah. Happy, unhappy?
4: Yeah,
5: pretty
0: good. Better they're than, Better than I mean, average. Come on now. Of course they're amazing. Jeremy miserable.
4: was a kind of violin musicians. virtuoso child prodigy.
0: Yeah, virtuoso
5: <laughs> implies something different. Right? <laughs> child prodigy, <laughs> which is really like hyphen. Like so good. No, no, no. Yes, but I was like, yes, he's just really <laughs>
4: modest. But I think so. No,
5: but I was just one of those like four or five year old kids. Up. You got it. Starting early. to play. Starting yeah. to play concerts and. Starting so young with it, by the time I got to college, I couldn't take another minute of classical right. music
0: yeah. and ended up here. You off-boarded. <laughs> thankfully. Annette. Yes. Tell us a bit about your childhood for the sound check.
4: I grew up in the suburbs of Boston, but my mother was from New York, so I always felt like I was in exile from, I mean, from elementary school. I was like, I don't belong here. <laughs> I belong in New York. <laughs>
0: I felt the same way. I'm from Springfield.
4: Uh-huh. Massachusetts? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just thought you belonged yeah. in New
3: Haven? I thought I belonged. To- <laughs> I, I didn't make it to
0: New York. <laughs> I never made it. The city would have eaten me alive. All right. <clears throat> We're good.
3: Okay, this week we are so, so, so lucky to have um, Annette Ezekiel Kogan and Jeremy Brown of Golem. They are our, our theme music. Yay! They <laughs> The sound us. of an Orthodox. And in addition to being, obviously, our theme music, they are a leading reinterpreter and innovator of Yiddish and Eastern European music. They're theatrical and energetic and devoted to tradition. They perform nationally and internationally and in rock clubs, festivals, theaters, weddings, bar mitzvahs, you name it. And we are just so, so lucky to have you guys weekly and also here, IRL, in the studio.
0: Yeah, welcome, guys. Thanks. Thank you. So, okay, so I first saw you. I'm was I I'm going to claim the credit here. When we were conceiving the podcast and we realized we needed music, I said, Golem because I first saw you about 15 years ago at the <laughs> weddings of my friends Aaron and Elaine. You, of course, remember them because you remember everything you've yes. ever played, right? They're yes. still married, two kids. Oh. But then I got, you know, I got your CDs and I started listening and I've seen you a couple other times. And so I, I just knew this was it. So I'm having a little bit of celebrity tremors in your presence right now, because you've been part of my oral soundscape for a long time. How, but when did, so I saw you about 15 years ago. When did the band come together and, and how?
4: So the band, oh my God, I can't believe it's this long, but the band came together. Our first gig was in November 2000. So uh. So I'm an OG. I'm like, in a, I'm pretty early um, to the scene. Yeah. And Jeremy is actually the newest member of the band. And he, what has it been? Seven years.
0: I <laughs> just figured out.
4: Are you, are you still being hazed?
5: No. I know. Kind of. We figured out the other night, someone asked how long it had been. I said, I thought I had been in Golem about three years. <laughs> and then everyone... Looked at their watches.
1: It's like no, a double what was the initiation t- ceremony like? <laughs> is are there like robes? If, he can, and like if he can
4: make, if any new person can make it through the rehearsal and all the snarky comments and <laughs> uh, stuff that goes on there, but Jeremy fit in immediately. So let's talk about the kind of music
0: you do. I mean, klezmer is this much abused catch-all for anything that sounds Jewy. People say, "Oh, that's klezmer," but of course it's a, and there are a lot of origin myths around it. Um, people think it's from different places than where it's actually from. Um, how do you describe the music that you?
5: Well, I'd say we're we're taking music from a number of different uh, Jewish and Eastern European folk traditions and then putting them through the lens of who we are and where we are, which is Jews now in New York. And And
4: non-Jews. Oh. Half the band is not even Jewish. What? Really? Wow. <laughs> wow. Right. It is half and half.
0: But you two both are, yes? Yes. yes. Yeah, okay, interesting.
4: We're so, two, what are the two thirds of the Jewish part of Golem? <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're, you're two
1: thirds of the Jewish half of Golem. Do Got you see it. differences in, in interpretation between band members, like access to the material that is different based on what you grew up with? I mean, do the non Jews play it differently because they don't have.
4: Well, for me, it was kind of, when I put the band together, it was a kind of a conscious choice because like uh, half of us had baggage a little bit coming mm-hmm. in with what we had heard growing up or our conception. And then half the band had no no baggage at all. And they just you know, put themselves into it and played, and I thought that that gave us a kind of unique.
0: Gentiles just have no
4: energy. baggage. Yeah.
1: Gentiles no have baggage. no baggage. Gentiles the just baggage. want to have fun. It's like whenever
0: figure skaters figure skate to Havanagila, all the Jews are thinking, "Oh God, another version <laughs> of Havanagila," and the Gentiles are like, "What is that wonderful
4: melody?" Right. And they get so excited; <laughs> they they skated to Havanagila. What else and they going to skate So to, proud, like, oh, seriously.
3: <laughs> And Annette, you're an accordionist. You are sitting there with like the most beautiful little accordion (laughs) I've ever seen. It says main
4: squeeze on it. How did you pick, how do you pick up the accordion? Like how do you start playing it? So I grew up as a classical pianist, um, but, and, and a, da- a ballet dancer, and I started doing Ukrainian folk dancing kind of by accident. Cause- as, as one does, you know, <laughs> yeah. H- high school
1: rebellion. <laughs> like, screw you, Mom and Dad, I'm going to do Ukrainian <laughs> folk dancing with my friends all night.
4: <laughs> no, actually, my family has a place in the Catskills, and... If funnily enough like 10 minutes away is a Ukrainian summer resort like the Jews and the Ukrainians are right next to each other just like in the old country like, <laughs> we, we <laughs> fled to America
0: for this yeah. worked so exactly. well for like, a summer they around.
4: couldn't go away from each other but um, yeah so at one point I think I was 10 years old, I said, Mom, I have to take ballet class during the summer, like, I can't just sit here. And uh, she drove me over to them. And then my sister and I became kind of le- leading dancers in the Ukrainian dance ensemble. And anyway, about the accordion, we always had accordion accompaniment for the Ukrainian folk dance class, piano for ballet and accordion for folk dance. And I just, love every time I heard that sound, I, oh. And then uh, later during, actually, Yeah, college, um, I finally – I heard about this store called Main Squeeze, which um, they started making these accordions. It's great. Oh, see, I thought that was what you
0: named your accordion. I thought you'd written your (laughs) – No,
4: this is the brand. Oh,
0: I was going to ask you, accordions to always name their – is it like Lucille, (laughs) the guitar, you know –
4: no, it was this very eccentric German guy who opened an accordion store in the Lower East Side. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he started making his own accordions, and he taught me how to play. So.
1: Wow. <laughs> who do you say is the greatest living accordionist
4: I think it's a guy named Ismail Butera who lives in Queens, and he's just amazing. He also plays klezmer Jew or Gentile? Gentile. Future, well, wow. <laughs> Future Gentile
0: of the week on podcast. He's Un-Otod. half
4: Sicilian, half Albanian. Oh, wow! Oh my God! <laughs> All
0: right, will you play us something? Tell us, tell us about something, and play it for us, please.
4: All right, uh, this is a song called Odessa, and it's actually a Yiddish theater song. Um, but we changed it into our kind of. We play it, uh, the first song of every set we rock set we do. It's like our our uh, klezmer punk anthem. Awesome. <laughs> but this is just the two of us, so you have to imagine the drums. And...
1: I'd like to introduce you the way the, the way they do the musical acts on Saturday Night Live, if I may. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Golden.
4: One two three four.
6: i meine going to bist du mir. house. ich are going to ich noch von house. Deine are going Massen. go verbracht. we dir going to Weihnacht. ihrer the going to hey, Singen gitten, man alle mit größtem Interesse. Von Zitron Pelz, von Jutschicken, von, von Litte. Nein, ich gehörte weg von meiner des. Wie können wir vergessen, das es doch der Schöne. Wie haben gewachsen, wenn ich auf mein Dorf Sie sind die ganze Welt, da deshalb du nur eine. Der Mond in Belchai, oh, yeah, yeah, der Leiche hat sie in der. Ei, 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 Meine ei, 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 Wow! That is amazing.
3: So you guys, you, you, guys you, have, you guys
1: didn't see this, by the way. Uh, you guys listen at home, but Mark was dancing on the table the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that was... That with with was... bottles on my head, Yeah, no less.
0: <laughs> one of my unusual talents.
3: So one of my favorite songs of yours is 740, which is what you guys call the... Hav-
4: it's based on the Havana of Russia, right? <clears throat> yes. So uh, by Havana of Russia, the the Soviet Jews, their most popular Jewish song or the, the, Jew- the song that everyone thinks is the Jewish song, is called 740, and it's actually about a guy taking a train at 740. And um, my husband is an immigrant from Ukraine, and uh, he actually, through this whole process, we recorded the song, we've been playing it for years, and then I told him, you know, by the way, American Jews, nobody knows the song. He's like, what? I thought, thought, like, everyone gets the reference. Like, no, nobody does. (laughs) Is it like
1: are the you? Are, are not like not the, everyone gets seven forty. It's just
4: weird. Why wouldn't that come name. over? You know, it's strange. It's not like what people are figure skating to. No, the no. no. To in, I mean in the Soviet Union, if Soviet Jews were doing a Jewish figure skating thing, which would never happen, they would be doing it to that. But That's so
6: crazy.
1: I love that name. It's seven forty. I'm on the train, and I. That's I'm exactly how it goes. Very, Will very you
5: play drunk. us yeah. you did that one? Yeah. Play it for Shall us. So
4: we do the. Da, da.
7: (音楽) (音楽) ¶¶
0: nice i like that much more than habanegilla I, like I think you could promise
1: our listeners here that if if you and i ever become the first all male duo to skate in the winter olympics <laughs> is this their song 740
4: 740, 740. i yeah. love this so is this all like Hold i us feel to like that. I could
3: like horror to that like Absolutely. is that oh, uh, yeah is so that what,
4: the song da, of russian weddings yeah in like a circle dance and there's just no Havina Gila. no i mean no they know Havina Gila too but this because is, we this is the one I mean everyone it's you know. American
0: now so they so they so they know it I have to say the wedding I saw you play I've never seen Ruach at any wedding like at that one the dancing was insane this was before your time term, obviously you know mm-hmm. this was back in the early days of Golem, but it, <laughs> but it was it was insane um <laughs> And I had just been married like months earlier, and, um, and you were like, "Why? Oh,
4: no, we just did yeah. yeah. and I, and I, um,
0: you know, and we'd had um, a uh, a playlist that I had, you know, burned onto a CD. What's, what's a CD? Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a bagel. Actually, it's a bagel <laughs> it's emoji. Feed a, a bagel emoji. Use the CD. You
4: could renew your vows.
0: We, well, maybe at your 18. Are there politics to the to the musical scene that you're in? Are there haters? Are there people trying to take you down?
4: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there. <laughs> it's always in the klezmer scene. It's are you authentic enough, or are you not authentic enough? Uh, so I don't know. How do you deal with that?
1: Are you straight out of
4: Kiev, or are you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just don't care.
0: You just don't care.
5: Every you know every <laughs> traditional music scene that I've come across is really a big struggle between. Well, I don't know a big struggle, but but a, a occasional conflict between the people who are really trying to stay 100% loyal to what they see as the tradition and the people who are letting the tradition grow and breathe and change or want to see the tradition
0: change. Yeah, my friend, I have a friend who's very deep into the trad and old time scene. And he says like the bluegrass people hate the trad people. And (laughs) and then within trad, it's like, are you trad enough? Like, are you back in civil war times? Or are you, you know, it's a very political scene, right? right?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, my idea at the beginning was from the get go, I didn't want to be like, try to be authentic because they're already I I loved like Klezmer Conservatory band and all that stuff growing up. And I didn't want to try to do that. What's the point? You know, so I want my idea was kind of to, to do Klezmer music as if it's being written now. We started doing original material I'd say like ten years ago. I don't know. Recently in our history. But at the beginning I wasn't interested in that. I just wanted to find old songs and sort of do new versions of them. And I would have my source material and I would never play it for the band so that they wouldn't be affected by that and could just do their own thing. I would just say this song it goes kinda of, nih ni 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 ni. He's like, Well what's the rest? I'm like, I don't know, you do it. <laughs>
0: So will you play us some, before you go? Will you play us something <laughs> original?
4: Um, mikva, which is the song that you use in the podcast. Yep. It's, it's about a girl immersing herself into the mikva bath before she, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's yeah. Per- perfect Sh- gets style. married. <laughs> gets married. Could
0: you play, a, I, I think it'd be interesting for our listeners who identify so strongly with our theme music to hear like a minute or two of it so they see where it goes. Yeah.
7: <laughs> mm <laughs>
4: Thank yeah. you so much. So where can we follow Golem? Where can we go see you? Um, golemrocks.com. Golem.com was taken. So, <laughs> Who took it? A long time ago. T- so, what what sort of
0: apparition or There's also a, a
4: to- German death metal band called Golem. And I was thinking of writing to them and saying, Guys. Hey, you should just give us yeah. a <laughs> As you know. Yeah. You know yeah. It's right. totally fair. <laughs> but, so far we coexist on Amazon and other places.
3: Um, Annette Ezekiel-Cogan, Jeremy Brown, thank you guys so much for coming in. And our listeners should go to GolemRocks.com to hear more from you guys.
1: They should. Thank, thank, you, thank
5: you for you. being the sound of Unorthodox. Thank you. If I-
3: Manish Mah,
1: Hakol Beseder Hakol Tov You know how I know to say that? How? Because I went to Harlem Hebrew Language Academy to to learn me some Hebrew, and that's in Harlem, USA. That is in Harlem, New York City, New York, America. It is a uh, wonderful charter school uh, up in Harlem that has you know kids from all over the neighborhood. Some of them are Jewish, some of them are not. And they all learn the beautiful language of the prophets, which is just so amazing. amazing. Like to see these, like you know, Jewish kids, Black kids, Puerto Rican kids, Asian kids, just running around being like Shalom, Mashlocha, Makorei, Mamezavachi. It's it's so fantastic. Did it feel
3: like like being in Israel because everyone was speaking Hebrew? Like... No,
1: because everyone was polite and well behaved <laughs> and no, listened, listened to the teacher. So no, it felt well, they're nothing. still young. See, but that is the that is the kind of like mind bend thing of it. It's like. What if we could take Israeli <laughs> culture and transport it to our kids actually do good listening? Oh <laughs> we could take God. over the world. Let's have a listen. State your full name and your favorite food.
2: Uh, okay, that's gonna be hard, because I, I don't have one. And say, oh say it all in
1: Hebrew. Okay And fast. Yeah,
8: let's go, guys.
2: My name Hashem Shelly Jonah Gutautfe <laughs> ha um. Ochel, Say, and have
1: the sushi.
2: Very good. I to these, William, where the Ochel and have the pizza.
1: And so, um, Tell me about life here in this amazing school of yours. It's all in Hebrew.
2: Yeah. No, no, it's not all in Hebrew, but we have like we have like the subject where we do Hebrew and and then um and our Hebrew teacher will come in for like other other um studies like social studies and science. Our Hebrew teacher comes in and helps.
1: Now, in addition to, to a lot of Hebrew, you guys also have a bunch of stuff here about Israel. Right? Your classes have names of cities. What class are you guys in?
2: Uh um, yeah, yeah.
1: You guys are in Tveria. How do you, What do you imagine Tveria to be like?
2: Well, it's it's actually a very we've seen pictures of. Yeah, it. it's did. a very nice place for like uh, wilderness Vacation. adventures, and vacations, also, yeah. hiking. And we also learned about um, Lena Horne, and she's our Harlem figure.
1: Yeah. Oh, so there's a Harlem figure, and um, yeah. yeah. Tell for, me about for
2: that. For each class, they have a Harlem figure, and then during Harlem Harlem studies, going to, you will learn about your Harlem figure. And on Harlem Day, which is next Friday, we will—you're gonna like set up your classroom in a way and go around the school looking at other people in your um, and looking at other people's classes. So Tveria
1: is gonna celebrate Lena Horn.
2: Yeah, we love the Lena Horne. sentiment. But basically, like, on Harlem Day, we're we're basically um celebr basically showing the way the the Great Migration. That's so cool. so where we're showing how like when you enter, basically you're coming up from, you're the coming south. up from the south, and now you're in the north. You came to the north to get new job opportunities, mm-hmm. like meatpacking. One of the most um. Common is meat packing, and then you also have like entertainment, and then that's what me and, and then me in, yeah, we're in that group. You're in an entertainment. Yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised we, for
1: one bit. You guys are very entertaining. One last question: How much Hebrew did you know walking into the school?
2: None. None. Sure. Me neither.
1: um Did you learn anything here? Uh, you know, we when you have Hebrew, kind of like going through the mind. Does that change the way you go today? Like, are you back home and like you're mm. watching TV and then all of a sudden like you're watching Tom Brady lose? Hey, Jonah, Win. and then you start shouting at TV in Hebrew and stuff.
2: not, yeah, not, not really. really. Honestly, well, it's sometimes. not <laughs> like I. I it, it, Tom Brady rarely loses, so it's it's hard to it's hard to do that. It's really really hard to well, do that. I mean, that. Well, maybe and, and I, I I I will yell at Belichick for doing wrong things during the draft in Hebrew. But, in Hebrew, yes.
1: Okay, let's do but this. But I
2: will. I won't do it to Tom Brady when L- he loses. Let's do
1: it. Uh, you're watching the draft. It's Belichick. He's making terrible decisions. Take it away. In Hebrew.
2: Lama! Lama! <laughs> Lama
1: <laughs> William, where do you find yourself? What What do you shout in Hebrew?
2: Sometimes, sometimes it's for, it's because somebody's like do something to me that I don't like. So so then I start. So I just start la- shouting words. Not not just like Lama like he did, but mm-hmm. like Lama what's sense, yeah. I don't to... to... All
8: right. Hello Hi State
1: your name and your occupation.
8: My name is Lindsay Malenga and I'm the head of School of Harlem Hebrew.
1: How did you get here,
8: Lindsay? This is a great question. Um I as I told you before, I was the previous superintendent of Democracy Prep Public Schools. And um, one of the things that I came to realize in my career was that I wanted to ensure that I was serving a diverse population. And this school is a diverse by design school. And so when I had seen the uh, job posting I question whether or not they would even let me be the head of the school because I don't speak Hebrew and I'm not Jewish, though both of those things don't matter because they embrace a diverse by design model. So who, who goes here? You know, um, we see a lot of kids from, of course, District 3, but um, we also District get three being... District 3 in New York City, the z- the zone, right? Mm-hmm. Because as a charter school, that's like the first preferences. Which so, would be
1: Harlem and?
8: Um, District 3 stretches a- across the city, Upper West Side and Harlem. hmm But we have students from outside of the district, from the Bronx, from Brooklyn, um, amazingly from the east side of Manhattan. So we see kids from everywhere. And of course, we're attracting students whose families want them to learn the Hebrew language. But we're also attracting students who just live in the neighborhood, whose families want their kids to go to the neighborhood school. Um, And so you have this really intense mix, which is fabulous. Do the parents
1: ever have, um, especially some of the neighborhood parents, kind of like a a moment of Shock in which you're like, Oh my God, it looks like a great school and you seem so lovely and the building's fantastic and everything, but they're studying what? What language?
8: Yeah, I mean, I think because it's in the name, most people know when they come mm. here that uh, Hebrew is happening. Um, mm. I think what um, shocks parents the most is how quickly their kids learn it, especially when they come here so young um, and having no background in it and being able to, you know, sing in Hebrew and and, and speak in Hebrew. I, that's what I think shocks most families who don't have the Hebrew background. Now
1: the the diversity of the population also extends uh you know it, ethnicity religions etc uh is is that um a challenge to some people is that have you ever encountered people saying look you know I, I don't know that I'm a hundred percent comfortable here or are people just very cool with the concept
8: I think ideally everybody is very cool with the concept but there have been certainly I, I would say healthy conflict that creates dialogue among the different, groups of people in our school um, and that we've been working through together. And so the school is like a, a work in progress. In what? Terms what, of, what, are,
1: what are some of the issues that you've so had to So for example,
8: um, look, we're a public charter school, so we don't do anything religious. But when the families were having family fun day, they were always on Sundays because mm-hmm. a lot, there were some observant families that can't do anything on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. So with my coming in and listening on a listening tour of our families, you know, a big subgroup of our families said, Sunday is a really bad day for us. And we
1: go to church. Yeah. As you might have heard. Yes. Yeah.
8: And so what we've decided is that, you know, we're going to offer um, different family fun days on different days, evenings during the week, different times, Saturdays and Sundays. And as I say, if, if everybody's equally mad at me, I'm doing a good job.
1: That's right. My, yes. our, our new Sabbath is on a Wednesday. Yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> um, now, I know that even, even, in, even particularly in Jewish schools, uh, as soon as you mention anything to do with Israel, uh, people go I mean, there's tremendous, tremendous tension surrounding any small decision that you make. Do you find that to be the case here? The classes are all named after cities in Israel? Are there people in the community, uh, Jewish, non-Jewish alike, or sort of like, I don't like how Israel-centric the school is? Or why don't you teach kids about, you know, politics or Netanyahu or stuff like that?
8: Yeah, I think less so than that explicit statement they're saying, um, let's balance it with the Harlem studies, right? We are in Harlem, so we do Israel studies and we do Harlem studies. So you heard the boys talking about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think again, families know what they're signing up for when they bring their kids here, um and we we are explicit to say that dual language in Hebrew and uh Israel studies is part of our mission. Um, but uh, they're not saying that they don't want that or that that's not okay. They're saying, where's the balance with the Harlem study? So we've been working really hard to make sure that we're honoring all aspects of our school community.
1: Maybe that's a solution. Maybe that's what Jewish day schools should start doing, just having Harlem studies too. And then everyone <laughs> Maybe. just chill out. And,
8: and being free, right? that would also help. Yeah, yeah. And, and being free would <laughs> I mean, help a yeah. great,
1: great deal. <laughs> Is there any question I didn't ask you that I should have?
8: Um, I would ask Valerie for help with that.
1: Okay, so l- let me ask this yeah. uh, here. You want to come sit down sure. at a mic. So, um, Valerie, tell tell us, um, tell us who you are, what you do here, and also tell us how how this how this amazing school got to be.
9: Sure, my name is Valerie Haitina, and I'm the chief external officer for Hebrew Public, which is the umbrella organization is overseeing Harlem Hebrew, as well as other Hebrew charter schools across the country. And we have 10 schools across the country presently, and we're working on opening more schools across the country. So this school, the, the, the original, the founding school was started in 2009 in Brooklyn, Mill mm-hmm. Basin right now. So, and the idea behind this, there has been a group of Jewish philanthropists called Aravin Philanthropic Group, led by Michael Steinhardt, whom many of the people probably know, birth Israel, and they were looking for a disruptive philanthropic idea, something that would make at that time Jewish education more affordable for families, frankly, like mine. You know, I'm a Russian-speaking Jew, completely unaffiliated, and the day school probably would not be the best, you know, option for my children so at the time around 2007 and 8 they were approached by the idea of a charter school and said hmm it sounds interesting so they started to do a little bit more research they quickly learned that in order to be a charter school you can't exclusively teach only Jewish kids that you really have to be open and welcoming to all of the students so keeping that in mind um, the group determined to open the school in Southern Brooklyn, where they could really get to the diversity that they wanted. There were enough, you know, Jews unaffiliated Jews. There is a large Caribbean population there. So the school opened in two thousand and nine with kindergarten and first grade. This is how we always open schools, kindergarten and first grade. and then we add one grade a year. And around May of that year, New York Times ran an article about the school, and, you know, it has a picture of our gym teacher, a black Muslim teacher who actually picked up Hebrew very fast, and he was doing gym in Hebrew. And at that time, we started getting calls from all over the country from people who are interested in opening similar schools. So at that moment, the Steinhardt Foundation, our Wim Philanthropic Group, they knew that they have to do something with the momentum, so they opened the National Center, Hebrew Public, which is now in charge of opening and supporting new schools. So Harlem Hebrew came into being uh, almost four years after HLA was founded.
1: So, what is the uh, what is sort of the mission statement? So, what, what does the foundation hope to achieve by opening all these schools that focus on on Hebrew but devoid of, you know, more traditional religious content?
9: So the so the the mission, you know, somewhat like you know changed from the beginning. The mission is really, you know, to run great schools that are open to all of the students, for all of them to learn more modern Hebrew and become global citizens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the benefits of studying a second language, you know, for many of the kids, it's their third language. And, you know, Hebrew is one of the most difficult languages as well. But if you're looking for Jewish educational experience, we always this is not not religious, Okay, we cannot supplement. So it's very, especially for the Jewish audience, they get nervous that a competition, in all honesty, this is not it.
1: Although I would say in, in a weird way, you know, if we're being candid, y- you are a competition uh, because, and, uh, you know, two very important reasons. You know, first of all, uh, the price is not uh, just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not just a, a practical matter. I think it's also very much a philosophical matter mm-hmm. of, you know, what constitutes a community right. and, you know, who could afford to get mm-hmm. in or out. Uh, but then also because you um create this environment that is deeply rooted in language and in culture in mm-hmm. a way that strangely bypasses uh, or I don't know if strangely but bypasses a lot of the um a lot of the kind of 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 self-doubt and 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 mm-hmm. worries and and conflicts that a, a Jewish day school uh, simply can't avoid, right? I mean, because it's not an internal communal dialogue that uh, takes on uh, you know all these nuanced uh, historical mm-hmm. conflicts it's it's something much sunnier and much less com- you know kind com- much less mm-hmm. weighted you could just say right. well we you take
8: know. the religion out of all aspects of what we're right. teaching so that i think helps right look
9: and we are sharing best practices with jewish day schools hebrew educations they come hebrew educators from jewish day schools come here I would say almost every month, you know, there is another group here to learn how we do Hebrew. So we're cooperating with them on, in that matter. And this is definitely a place for Jewish families who may not fit into the traditional standards. We have, you know, biracial families. We have families with adopted children. They just feel more comfortable in this environment than that. That's for sure, right?
1: Yes. Okay. Rock on! Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank guys. you. Oh, my God. Yeah. The kids were so amazing. First of all, I want each one of you to tell me your names. Suchi Suchi Luca. Luca. Janice. Janice. And I take it you're what, 32, 33 years old?
2: No. You're five. <laughs> no. You're, no. F- you're five. Six. I am six. Six? I'm six. No,
1: that can't be right. So you're I'm in six. high school. I'm six.
2: I do no what grade are you kindergarten. In? kindergarten. Kindergarten. Oh my
1: God, that's amazing. Second floor. And you speak amazing Korea. Hebrew.
2: Uh-huh. Korea. I'm six. Fi- you're fi- from Korea.
1: You're from Korea. Yeah. You speak Korean. Yeah. How yeah? How do you say, I love dinner?
2: Uh, oh
1: my God, that sounded amazing, Luca. You speak uh, Korean?
2: No, no, You're no. I was born here.
1: But you speak Hebrew. Uh huh. You speak super good Hebrew.
2: Not very good. All Hebrew. All right,
1: I need to hear your favorite word in Hebrew. Uh. It's the funniest Hebrew word you know. Off. Off. My God, what does that mean?
2: It means nose.
7: nose.
1: It means nose. What about you? <laughs> Poopy. Poopy.
2: <laughs>
7: Do you know what that
1: means?
2: Yeah. Belly what button. is it? That means a butt. Belly
1: button. Uh, no,
2: butt. Butt. Oh, butt means toothy. Ah, butt means toothy. That
1: <laughs> is very right. <laughs> you get an A and you get an A. Give me your favorite word. Um, shalom. Shalom. Oh, that's very, very lovely. Um, Do you know any songs? Yeah. Yes. Because we've been doing a lot of talking here, but we haven't been doing a lot of singing. I'm really in the mood for a song. So... Hey, <laughs> Pick your favorite Hebrew song and let's rock it.
2: Pocket pocket me ashen a dime. Pocket pocket me a dime. Pocket tob, ashen
0: Guys,
1: you are amazing. No. Yes.
8: Yes. No. How do you say that in Hebrew? No. Amazing. No. No, not no. no. Amazing. Your feet.
0: That was Liel Leibowitz visiting Harlem Hebrew Language Academy Charter School in now Harlem, me'od. in Harlem, New York, USA, uh, a couple of weeks ago. He went with producer Josh Cross and the piece was edited by Noah Levinson. No it <laughs> be read I so cannot. Uh, <laughs> but but if people want to learn more, uh, they have a website harlemhebrewcharter.org. A lot of our listeners, your kids, your kids could go there. That could be in your future.
1: As we say in Hebrew, alhamdulillah. <laughs>
0: A couple new newsletter subscribers this week. We welcome the law firm of Nina Glass and Nancy Zimmerman. Nancy Zimmerman, who, of course, is close cousin to Bob Zimmerman, a.k.a. Bob Dylan. Uh, And she's going to get him on the show for us, right? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, it's good to have Nina and Nancy join the law firm uh, the newsletter that they now are eligible to get as partners is not the regular tablet newsletter it is not <laughs> to get this newsletter you want to sign up at the bottom of one of our show pages at tabletmagcom slash unorthodox or send an email asking for it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. that's the best thing you can do to help us keep going just keep you know getting the newsletter join the Facebook group rate us on iTunes subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you can also advertise with us uh, join Join Harry's.com and many other fine businesses who have advertised with us and, uh, you know, be, be, be part of the family. Also, another way to be part of the family, come to one of our live shows. Uh, we have one coming up Wednesday, March 21st at JCC Manhattan. We're working on superb guests for that. Including would, Bob Dylan.
1: Including, <laughs> <laughs> and Nancy. Who, by the way, this is really easy to do. Let's do like the Nobel thing. Let's announce Bob Dylan as the guest. (laughs) Then Bob Dylan doesn't come. And like, we're famous and he looks like the asshole. So our guest
0: and our next live show will be Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. New newsletter subscriber Nancy Zimmerman has scored for us, her her cousin, Bob Dylan. Um, Also, there are some other places where uh, we can be seen. We occasionally get out in the world um, without, you know, we occasionally get outside the studio. I, for example, was just at Temple Isaiah in Palm Springs, California, you which were. was awesome. awesome. You guys, where where have you been?
3: I was Where on, haven't we been? Uh, yeah, where haven't we been? Um, I was on Fake the Nation with Nagin Farsad. She's been a guest on here a few times. Um, sh- it was really, really fun. We talked about like the stock market, tax cuts, the government shutdown, sort of like something new and different for me. Um, I will so- be
1: I will be going on Fake the Nation this Thursday.
0: I'm feeling a little bit of.
1: Uh, You'll
3: get there. You'll get there by one one day, one day Mark. yeah. One day. But yeah, I mean, it's right. Nigine's great, and you can listen to
1: it. Um,
0: At f- you could just search. If yeah, you, Fake the Nation, fake nation has, yeah, its own, it's has its own has its own site. Yeah, but but
1: tomorrow on Wednesday,
3: we are answering to a higher power.
1: Stephanie and I. Yep.
3: We're. Going to be on Jesuitical, which oh, is Lord. the Jesuit unorthodox, um, with Ashley McKinless, who's been a guest here, and we—the
0: Catholic unorthodox, the podcast for Catholics. You're going into the lion's den. You're Yeah, going...
3: I'm very excited. We're actually—I I don't know if you remember from the live show—James Martin said, "Father James, Father Jim, please, please," said that his Jewish friends pick what he gives up for Lent each year. So they basically asked Liel and me to come on the show and basically pick. What they should give up for Lent, which is something we take very, very seriously. That is
1: heavy. We've been we've been discussing for two weeks now. We have some good ideas. Yeah, we have some good Not ideas. Not to be revealed this until is, until. It
3: feels <laughs> a little messed up. Like I am a little <laughs> uncomfortable with the general idea. But oh, so- I'm
1: totally I'm totally comfortable. Oh my Lord. But I, ha- I, think, I
3: think what our twist is going to be is I love that being in you of and power. I will also give something up for Lent. I think we'll I, drop that on them.
1: I think that will be amazing.
3: Guys, different.
0: guys, we do something pretty hardcore ourselves on Yom Kippur. Like, that's why we don't, we, we've got a different but thing how going How long do we do it for? Right. Well, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go to the mailbox. Mailbox. Got a letter in the mailbox. Got a letter in the mailbox. Dear Unorthodox, can you please look into why so many synagogues have the same name? I have to believe that Jews are creative enough to come up with unique names for their unique houses of worship. But everywhere I turn, there's Temple Emmanuel or Congregation Beth Israel or Congregation Rodef Sholem. Thank you for adding a thoughtful dash of Judaism to my weekly commute, Andrew Kaplan. Uh, so I went to an expert. I went to Jenna Weissman-Joselet, tablet contributor and historian. Uh, she wrote The Wonders of America. She recently wrote Set in Stone about the 10 Commandments. And I said, we have this listener, Jenna, who wants to know why shuls all have five names. Why, like, why are we so uncreative? She writes back, a great question. The answer I suspect has less to do with creativity and more to do with branding, so to speak. All the names you reference have the weight of tradition. Many synagogues in the U.S. started out as local associations whose members were drawn from the same geographical area in the old world. But as those ties dimmed and became increasingly less meaningful, and as more and more of these small-scale congregations, faced with dwindling numbers, joined forces with one another, the new members had to come up with a more inclusive name. To that end, they turned to the Bible, which also made great sense in the American context. So surely you couldn't go wrong naming your synagogue Mount Sinai or Zion or something like that. Hope this helps. Jenna Weissman Joslin. So that is a huge part of it, right? Is that basically when these little Landsmanshaft and these little like shuls based on the old town that were like sons of you know Bialystok or whatever merged with other things, they had to come up with big, broad names. That still leaves the question of why certain congregations are like why a lot of reform temples became Rodev Sholem, which means pursuer of peace. Like you'll never find an Orthodox congregation called pursuer of peace, but every city has an old school reform temple called
3: I think it's like if you're starting a temple and this is 50 years ago, 60 years ago, whenever, it made sense to pull the name that was a popular synagogue name. Like, oh, this is, they'll know it's a reform synagogue. It'll, they'll sort of have associations with this other big synagogue in this other city that they may have been coming from. It's interesting, like, what new synagogues are naming themselves. It's like all the
1: raised pizza in New York, each claiming to be the original <laughs> raised pizza. It's like, we're the original Road of Shola, man. We make the best slice. Yeah, and they're like, of and we God. Are,
3: we're only by the pie. Like, yeah. we're, we're, and we're the yeah. race that does no, no slice. slices. <laughs> By the way, but that's the place I don't go to. All right, right
0: but th- I, I kind of feel like there's a huge missed opportunity. Like, oh, they could be naming stuff like, like oh, Liel's ha- Leel's House of Worship. No, like if you do all the peaceful, Mark's thing in the Bible, Saturday like, Club.
1: Man, there's a huge like chunk of unpeaceful thing in the Bible. Like, imagine Baith, Wrath
0: of God. Yes,
1: <laughs> Yeah. Cahillat smiting. Like, there's so much good stuff. It's
0: true. It's true. And you know, there is some there is some creativity in the new ones, right? Like sometimes they'll name, call themselves. Like, you know, Beth plagues or like, um, you know, hear our voices or something. There's one in Brooklyn, right? What Lab is Lab Labshul, or Lab shul, Yes, or the kitchen. I think is it in uh, San Francisco has the kitchen. Oh, I like that. Yeah, what does Icar mean in LA? What's Icar? Icar means the essence, the essence. There you go. Right, so that's good. by the way, works. I was saying
3: Icar for a long time. That was so
0: embarrassing. I, oh my god, I even that's said an, it while I was Apple, in LA <laughs> the new Apple product, the Icar. Anyway, Andrew, it's great. The shul
3: that's, it's the car that self drives you to, shul. to sh- on
0: Shabbat. <laughs> <On> Shabbat. <laughs> you don't have to worry. It's reconstructionist. Uh, Here's another letter. Hey, folks, what do you think when someone refers to themselves as a Nazi about something? For example, my wife is a high school teacher who has students who are habitually breaking the dress code. She emailed a coworker who's in charge of the dress code policy about what she should do. That teacher responded to my wife that she should continue to enforce the rules and that he is, quote, a Nazi about hats, for example, end quote. Or like when people say, or even brag sometimes, that they're grammar Nazis. I told my wife it bothers me, but I don't always say something about it. Given the fact that this coworker is the chair of some diversity committee and the dress code enforcement squad, or whatnot, and given the political realities in which we live, we decided that she should say something like, "Enforcing the dress code doesn't make you a Nazi." I'm sensitive to that kind of thing, especially when there are actual Nazis out there. What do you guys think? Are we just being snowflakes about this? Yours. Anonymous
3: this is like a gripe I have. I hate when people use Nazi as just like a modifier. It doesn't make any sense to me also it's like, okay you're a grammar Nazi. Does, what does that mean you kill people who <laughs> don't use grammar that you like? like what it doesn't even make any sense? And the, you know what it's Seinfeld's fault because they had to the sue Nazi, Nazi, and
1: this wasn't a thing before that. I love it for exactly the same reasons because I like to imagine what happens if like people actually were grammar <laughs> Nazis. Like imagine there were camps. <laughs> For people who said, you know, wrote your instead of
3: ye. <laughs> who
5: forgot. Y-O-U,
1: you. Oh, no, that R-E. is annoying.
0: <laughs> and, and by the way,
1: like, deep down inside, don't you think
0: there should be?
1: Kind, it's true. I mean, come do, on now. It
0: does speak to the level of hostility That's that right. we feel when people violate mm-hmm. a grammatical
1: pet peeve. And, and and our and our willingness deep down inside in some dark place we don't like to talk about to murder these people en masse. And <laughs> I think, think might, that we would be doing like, some service to humanity. You might
3: say we're in, like, two camps about it.
1: We're oh. in two camps about it. <laughs>
3: Olympics week we have um, a special guest Molly Lambert is a writer for the New York Times magazine's talk column she's based in Los Angeles and her grandmother Margaret Bergman Lambert was a German Jewish high jumper barred from the 1936 games and she's the subject of a new Olympic Channel documentary Molly is also a member of the No Olympics LA anti-Olympics activist group Molly thanks so much for for calling in
10: Sure thanks for having me
3: so you wrote an article in The New Yorker recently about your grandmother's experience being first forcibly recruited and then denied um, to compete for Germany in the 1936 Olympics. Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly happened with her?
10: Uh, sure. Yeah, my grandmother was an amazing athlete who uh, lived in a town in Germany called Laupheim. And uh, she was just great at every sport. And she ended up being in track and field. And so she was recruited to compete for the Olympics. And um, you know, as as this was happening, there was obviously also a lot of other things happening in Germany at that time. So we hear, so she, yeah. So she, um, you know, she wanted to compete, but uh, as as it was getting closer to the Olympics, she realized that you know she would be competing for. Germany uh, under under the Nazis, and so she was very conflicted about it because she wanted to compete and win as a Jew to prove that, you know, Jews were, were not inferior. Um, but she was also scared of what would happen if she won, you know, and she was afraid of what would happen if she was on the podium and didn't, didn't Sig Heil. Uh, and the Nazis also sort of used uh, her family to you know, blackmail her into kind of competing because she had gone to train in London. And then they said she had to come back and they sort of threatened her family if she didn't come back. So she did come back. Um, And then she, at the very last second, was told that she couldn't compete because she was not good enough, which was blatantly untrue.
1: You know what I hate about Um, Nazis? They're so finicky, like they can't make up their minds. (laughs) It's always bothered me about them.
10: They're very wishy-washy. They really are. (laughs) So uh, she ended up not competing, uh, which allowed her to go to America, which was ultimately good for her because um, she was able to escape. And then she was later able to get her parents over uh, to America. And uh, my grandfather came over. His parents were not able to make it over. um, And they were killed but you know it's just a very a very sad um but also you know interesting story of her life
3: well it's i mean it's it's really crazy cuz i mean there was a film about her called Hitler's pawn right like she yeah. was very much used as a way for the nazis to say like look at us and our you know humanitarian record or whatever or sort of use using her to say our treatment of jews is okay and then once they realized they actually like didn't need to do that they basically kicked her off the team right
10: yeah, I mean, they were sort of gauging the national temperature as to whether or not they would have to have Jews on the team, you know, that whether other countries would pull out if uh, if they blatantly enforced their agenda. And at a certain point, I guess they got cocky enough to say, we're just going to do it, you know, and maybe they were afraid of, of her winning, of a Jew winning. Um, but, you know, she always wished she had been able to compete because she wanted to have won. But, you know, she also, again, was afraid of what might have happened had she won. And
3: this is an unusual family story. Like, did you read, did you always know this story? Did your grandmother talk about it a lot?
10: Um, I mean, I, I knew about it very early on. Um, she didn't actually really start talking about it that much until sort of later on in her life. She moved to America and then, you know, she competed in America a little bit and she won a couple high jumping titles. But then she sort of had a, you know, a normal, a normal life. She was a, like a housewife, um, you know, and a great, funny, silly one. But um, she didn't really become uh, sort of, she didn't start telling her story again until sort of, uh, you know, when she was in her 70s, her 60s or 70s, when people started asking about it. And, uh, you know, then she sort of became an activist speaking
0: about it. Well, speaking of activism, you have this amazing family history with the Olympics and now you are active (laughs) against the Olympics, so to speak. Tell us about your no Olympics, uh, interests. If grandma didn't get to Um, compete, no one does. (laughs) (laughs)
10: Love it. (laughs) Um, no Olympics, Los Angeles is a group, uh, that formed out of the democratic socialists of LA, um, And we are against the Olympic bid uh, that is supposed to bring the games to Los Angeles in 2028 for a lot of reasons. Um, The Olympics, as you probably know, in recent years have been really devastating for the places they go to. There's sort of a big scam where they come into town and and set up camp and uh, kick a lot of poor people out, um, kick a lot of homeless people out, uh, make a lot of money for rich people and no money for anyone else. And uh, they are all under the corrupt IOC, which is sort of a a rogues gallery of the worst people in the world. Um, So yeah, I was thinking a lot about the ways in which the similarities between what will happen in Los Angeles if the Olympics come here and what happened to my grandmother in Germany in terms of people being displaced and it being used to sort of push an agenda that you know, you can use the fact that the Olympics are a special circumstance to really ramp up police militarization. Is a thing that always happens. Um, so, you know, obviously Rio was a big one where everybody saw what a disaster the Olympics are really. Um, and sort of hidden behind all this, uh, you know, nationalism and exceptionalism. You know, it's it's actually a very a sinister sort of thing. So,
3: are you like fully anti Olympics? Like you won't watch figure skating? Or do you kind of like enjoy some of it?
10: I mean, I enjoy the sports. And that's the thing, too, is like with a sport like figure skating, especially it's, it's, you know, we could watch women's sports all year. They just don't show them. So making it that the only time we get to watch these sports be broadcast on television is during the Olympics um, because female sports are marginalized in sports media is also ridiculous. You know, so I think that we should be, you know, I would prefer that we just be able to see female athletes compete year round rather than being told like, this is the time you get to watch female athletes just during the Olympics.
0: Molly, I, I share all of your dyspeptic feelings about the Olympics. And I love your writing. People should go read your piece in The New Yorker. It's at newyorker.com, My Grandmother, the Nazis, and the Shadow of the Olympics. And we're really grateful that you joined Unorthodox this morning. Thank you so much.
10: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: All right. Take care. Go, go watch some Olympics now.
10: <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch some figure skating. I'm not, I mean, you know, we're not, we're not against sports. We're just, uh, we're against the way the Olympics operate and we want the IOC abolished. So check out our website at nolympicsla.com.
0: nolympicsla.com. Thanks. We will, we will get the word out. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks,
10: Molly. Cool. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye
0: bye. Stephanie, have you a Mazeltov?
3: I don't have a Mazeltov, but I wanted to send some love to my friend Irene Rudnick. Um, her yaya, pa- her grandmother, passed away, and we're thinking of her and thinking of her family. And we love you.
0: May her memory be for a blessing, Liel. I'm going to, I'm going to
1: go on the same, on the same, same on note. the same train, on the same sad train here, uh, to Fred Warmbier. The father of Otto Warmbier, um, whose son, murdered by the North Koreans, seemed to be forgotten uh, by all the hoopla about the cool sister of Kim Jong-un. Um, you know, a young Jewish man who lost his life to this murderous
0: regime. We're with you.
3: And Fred was at the Olympics, which yes, is an amazing guest thing.
0: of Vice President Mike Pence. I stand with that. Um I just have some shout outs this week. Uh, a big shout out to Laura Levy and then a shout out to Facebook group members, Josh and Anna Oberndorn and their baby daughter, Catherine. This is a, a new baby daughter. I went to Anna's Facebook page. and Catherine saw, Oberndorn. That's Catherine, a strong name. That's a strong name. I, strong name. Um, I went to uh, – I did a little Facebook stalking and saw a picture of Josh and Anna and they may be the best looking young Jewish couple I've ever seen. So there's hope for us yet. There's, yeah, they are they – are, they, That kid's going to be an Olympian, is all I have to say. An Olympian or a model or now a Nobel I Prize winner. Or it's, they're, Show me the photo. They're, they're gorgeous. Um, and finally, to Kevin Lieberman, your friend Ethan called and left a message on our voicemail line just saying how much he loves you and cares about you. So Kevin
3: Lieberman's a... The Duke student who, who's in yes. grad school at Michigan, the Mishmash. Yes,
0: and came to our live show. Yeah, and the best. No, or was it Limud? Where did I meet Kevin met, Lieberman? He came to Lemood. He came to Limud. So, But look, it's not just that we love you. Your friend Ethan calls us to say that he loves you. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Lieberman, you're a superstar, Kevin Lieberman. You're loved by us. Also yeah. Kevin
3: Lieberman with just an eye.
0: In, oh, is it Lieberman? I think it's Lieberman, but we'll, we'll have to. I was pronounce the name Lieberman. And finally, a, a collective mazel Talk. From us yes. all. From us all to? From the heart. us to... bum, ba, da, bum.
3: Oh, sorry. I'm doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: We're throwing to you. Yeah.
3: To our Tavla colleague, Yair Rosenberg, who got married to the lovely Rachel. And we are so excited for them. And we just wish them the best.
0: Absolutely. Yair is, um, to many people in the Jewish world, he is the face of the Jews because he has 8 trillion Twitter followers. And he tweets about Judaism relentlessly. And uh, Rachel?
1: And since both he and
0: Rachel, uh,
1: who is amazing, amazing. both write for us, uh, now that they're married, I think we could just, maybe we just
0: pay them collectively. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just pay them in you know, one. You don't need two salaries. No. though Anyway, Mazel Tov, guys unorthodox is brought to you by tablet magazine on the web at tabletmag.com write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or call us leave a voicemail message that we could play on the air that number is 914-570-4869 for merchandise as josh told you at the beginning of the show we got shirts we got all kinds of cool swag it's bit.ly slash unorthoshirt so it's l y slash unorthoshirt follow stephanie on instagram at SButnik. join our facebook group our show is produced by Josh Cross and Shira Talushkin with help from Julia Frakes. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson, and our music is by Golem. Online at golemrocks.com or on today's show. You just heard them. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton, who has a new CD out that you can check out. Rabbinic Supervision this week by Rabbi Alex Kress of Temple Sinai in Roslyn. We hear he's a big Eagles fan, so hey, happy days. If you think your rabbi should be selected to offer Rabbinic Supervision, write to me at Moppenheimer at TabletMag.com. We recorded Argo. Argos Studios, a gold metal recording studio where we are engineered by Paul Ruest, although today by Noriko Okabe. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.